the company's called Republic PR, just so it sounds like a really big PR agency, but it's just me working from home. Um, and I bring in, I bring it, it's, it, it's helpful because some clients think you're kind of, some clients want an agency, and it's generally just me working one-on-one with the client, which the client's like, because sometimes when you go to an agency, you'll get the chairman kind of, some of the big wigs kind of talking to them, giving the presentations, but generally they'll have an account exec or an account manager dealing with them day to day. It's not the case with me, I attend every meeting, I do all the work for them, which sometimes means you have to be in two places at once, or I then bring in other freelancers to help out in certain aspects of my work. Um, in, terms of the, in terms of clients, um, it's mostly corporate PR. I find there's a lot of, a lot of kind of consumer <coughs> PRs around. There's a lot of girls who like doing shoes and fashion. Um, there's not that many kind of um, PRs doing kind of one-on-one corporate communication. So you're up against the big agencies, um, but thankfully I'm cheap. So um, getting work isn't too hard. I'm getting paid harder, but getting work isn't too hard. Um, I'll be working one-on-one with clients in, in the legal sector. Um, I've got a cinema firm is my biggest. Um, I've got a guy who helps someone, helps people go bankrupt in the UK and I've been behind raising the issue and the option of people going to the UK to go bankrupt over the last couple of years. Um, education, um, still got a bit of property um, and a bit of financial services. You kind of tend to get little niches. I did a bit of work for the European Commission as well and that led on Erasmus and promoting um, youth on the move and that led to other education clients. Um, and you find that suddenly you get a few education clients and suddenly you get a few legal clients. Um, which obviously legal sector is a good one to be in because they, they make hay, whether it's the sun shining, whether it's raining. Um, but you need to be you need to be proactive. I tend to I tend to work how Sinead's explained how she works. Um, I tend to don't go into kind of sending out lots and lots of media releases because you do, journalists just get so many of them. I tend to work in pitching stories, mostly on the phone, ringing them up, pitch an idea, then I'll send through a very succinct email. Even when the client sometimes the clients will want a media release because they're used to kind of having a press release. Sometimes I'll just say, okay, I'll do a media release for them, but then I'll just cut and paste it into an email and pitch it in and take out their quotes. Um, and then we kind of, most of my, 90% of my stories are, are, are not press release based. They're mostly done in for, through pitching. Um, but I think the mistake that a lot of PRs make is they, they kind of, um, they get quite fluffy and you've got all this PR language like leading edge, state of the art, you know, and a journalist will just put a big red cross through that and say, right, what are the main stories? Again, we're back to the W's. Who, where, what, why, when, and how, how much, if you're talking about a kind of a deal media release. Um, it's not the dark arts. Uh, I leave that to kind of spin doctors in government. Really, you're helping bring out your client what's interesting. Sometimes they have loads of interesting things going on that I think re- really we can get, make some good stories, but they just don't realise. They don't know it's that interesting or what makes a journalist tick and the key is uh, knowing how the media work knowing what interests journalists and then drawing that out the client and helping a journalist build a story sometimes I'll ring up a journalist and will say is, is this going to be of interest to you and he goes yeah that's great but can you find me a bit more information on this and over the course of maybe a day or two we'll put a good story together and I'll pull in case studies and different things to help them sometimes I'll even bring in companies that are non-clients just to help give another kind of feel to a feature but it's really, uh, you know, knowing what makes them tick and, and helping them do their job, really. You know, journalists are very, very under pressure. They've got a lot going on. Anything, any help you can give to them in terms of getting them information, getting a story written for them, and writing it as they would write it in the article, as near as possible, so they can then 
you know, you, they're not having to rewrite it and do a lot of work, and they just couldn't paste it in there. Um, but it's very different in a in a big agency than a small agency. If you go in as a as a student into a junior agency, you tend to go in at account exec or account manager level, working for account directors. Um, you'll generally be doing the donkey work in terms of drafting media releases or or getting data together for stories. Whereas if you're a freelancer, you kind of um, you work very very closely related working with the client and the journalist and helping them put together a story. Plus you have to do all the donkey work yourself as well. Um, you have to be kind of um, also, as well as kind of traditional, knowing traditional journalism and building stories in the media, you have to kind of be all things to all men but not come across as a jack of all trades. So media and PR is changing these days. A good digital background is important. Uh, knowing SEO, knowing how to do blogging, knowing what will help the client in terms of uh, raising their profile online. Thankfully, companies that are in the media, it helps them online anyway because of the way SEO works and the way Google works in terms of authority. But it's also <coughs> kind of trying to help them kind of develop that online as well. It's helpful knowing how to give them media training. If I've got clients going up, going in the radio, doing stuff that Sinead says, difference is I'm pitching them to go on, not me. But I will sit down and I will, I will interview them one-on-one -on -one how, how a journalist would do and also play them back previous interviews that person's done. You know, and you don't put a, a new client up who's not got much media training. You, you're not pitching them into uh, Pat Kenny. Um, I have a show on a, um, on a community station once a week, and that's my hobby, but it's really helped me kind of um, with work as well in terms of networking and using the facilities there. We'll, we'll typically take, take a client in. If they're not experienced, we'll, we'll do an interview on a show there and just give them kind of a, um, you know, put their toe in the water in terms of getting experience. And sometimes, you know, it's just softly, softly, see how they do on a local station. If they do okay, well, then okay, we, we can try them on a, uh, on a national station. I've had clients um, try and insist, um, I get them in a certain, in a certain newspaper, I'll get them in, put them with a certain journalist, I'll put them on a certain TV or radio show. Um, even when I know the story would work, I've, I've had to really fight them and say, you, you're not ready for this, it will, it will backfire. Um, and I find that if you just kind of if you're a yes man to a client, then it will backfire in the long term. You have to really put your foot down and know what's right. The end of the day, if the client insists doing it, they're paying your wages. You 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 know you have to let them do it. But I will do that under duress. I will always try and advise them what I think's best. Um, Like I say, it's easy to get work, but it's hard to get paid. Um, we work generally on a, I generally work on a monthly, on a, on a monthly basis, um, and it works on monthly fees. Sometimes it's kind of pay as you go, um, but it's um, you know clients come in through, through word of mouth a lot, but also um, through you know I, the website. You've got to promote yourself. That's why I you know some people set themselves up as a freelancer. They don't have a website, but I, I kind of set it up as a kind of agency focus. So it kind of you know helps me um, promote myself. If you put in freelance PR into Google, I will come up number one on page one in the organic search results, and that's been done over a series of years where I've been putting all the work I do for my clients on my website as much as possible. Some PRs don't like doing that because they think, ah, oh, the other agencies will see that try and steal the clients. Well, if you're confident the work you do for the client, then you shouldn't be worried about people trying to steal them. So you know, just you can't be a shrinking violet. You have to um, you have to really really promote yourself. Um, is there any questions? How important is Twitter and blogging to you? Really, really important. Twitter is really good for networking and promoting clients um, and uh, 
I've met journalists through Twitter. I've got work through Twitter. Um, the key with the PR, um, if, you, if you're coming from a journalist background, you're, you're at a huge advantage because you've already got the contacts with a lot of journalists. You're already used to pitching to, to news editors different stories. And it's the same way you'd be pitching for your clients. And I know quite a, quite a lot of freelance journalists have PR clients as well. Um, I came in from, <coughs> a, a, obviously, I came in from London, so I had very few Irish contacts. I'd done a big deal for Michael Whelan in London a couple of years ago. That got me a lot of contacts with the business press. But I really had to build up my, um, my contacts with the media. And it's really, look after, the young, look, look after the little guys, the younger journalists, the new, anyone who's new in a job, really help them in, in the new job, really build up trust with them. And some of the young guys I dealt with when I first moved over you know, are now assistant business editors. So you kind of, you know, as they go through their career, they kind of, you know, your contacts grow and grow. So it's really, really about helping it, helping out as many people as possible and building up trust. Sorry, what was the question? Yeah. Social media. <laughs> yes, and one way to do that is social media because all journalists are on Twitter. So you could even, you know, it's a great way to kind of find out what stories they've been working on, get their interest, and even like, yeah, I, chat, I didn't know editors, and I'd be chatting to them about football, and then when I rang them up for the client, it's like they already knew me. You know, so it's, it's absolutely invaluable. More Twitter and LinkedIn than, um, than Facebook. Kind of the stuff I say on Facebook, I really don't want journalists to see. But um, Twitter and LinkedIn. Also, clients find the paid service and LinkedIn really helpful <coughs> because you can message anyone and you get all the details of anyone who's looked at your, your page. Um, so you, and then you can message them directly. Whereas if you don't, it just says, oh, someone from this industry or someone from that company. So you've almost got a, got a kind of an in, a foot in the door there already with the paid service for LinkedIn. And LinkedIn's like a, um, it's my online CV. You know, so it's very, very important. Any other questions? How many people are thinking about PR? What kind of PR? Well, we're, we're all different types of consumer. Yeah. So, um, you know, it's, I mean, I do work for consumer agencies. It's nothing being a freelancer um, from, from business side. If a consumer has, if a consumer agency has a client that has a both, both of a focus for business and consumer, they'll pull me in to do the business side of things. Um, I don't go for, uh, when I'm launching a client, I tend to go for soft launches in the media rather than big launches, but you'll be more kind of a, the more kind of a, a fluffy side, really. <laughs> it's a very different consumer PR is very different from what I do. Um, what sorry. work were you doing in the court last night? I was in the court this morning. Um, what I do, I, I, I generally go in there incognito, pretending I'm a journalist. Um, so the other people on the other side don't know they've got a PR representing them, <laughs> which I find easier. Um, but I'll, I'll be in there just to hear what's been said. Um, and get a good feel for the case, and what we'll do then, I'll, I'll be you know, representing them on the legal side. So I, with affidavits, clients are sometimes very careful, you know, an affidavit is in public domain. If I can, you know, there's no point making life hard for a journalist saying I'm not going to release it. It's a public document, give it to them, be transparent, help them put the story together. You know, you give, give them the background to a case. Yeah, well, I'll be, I'll be representing the client, they're my clients, they have a court case. So I'm putting their, their side of the court across the media. This is why, the, you know, if they have a case taken against them, they wouldn't always, that their affidavit doesn't represent their side of the case. So I'm saying, well, the reason why this is happening is X, Y, and Z. And my client's actually going to be submitting a counter case next week because of these factors. <coughs>
trying to make sure that the client's being transparent because they're very, very uneasy dealing with the media in relation to legal cases. I was interested, if I might say, um, about you being in court. I, I had a client who was uh, a local authority at one stage, and I was, uh, the, the, the local authority was facing a challenge to the county development plan from a councillor. And um, I reckon that this, I, I very quickly worked out that the, the only useful thing I could do would be to stop my client doing anything stupid. Yeah. And, and, that, and that was the main thing I had to do. And he was, in, he was panicking. And I said, this will probably work for you. because This will probably work because judges don't set aside, lightly set aside um, decisions uh, uh, that are arrived at by political bodies unless there's some stinking great mess at the centre of it. And as it transpired, the judge gave out to the local authority but didn't, and said they should have minded their business better, but he wouldn't give an injunction. But when I wanted to go down to the court just to hear what was going on, my boss, a very wise woman called Terry Prome, um, mm -hmm. said to me, don't go near that place. Um, if, you, if, if, the threat, if your former colleagues see you down there, they reckon there's a story. Yeah, and, and, and you, what, you, what you said just fed into that because you're not advertising the fact. And when you become more successful, as you undoubtedly will, you won't be able to set foot in the courts. No. You know? I just thought that was interesting. I, and, and my point generally is, is and I, I wonder if you agree with me, that a lot of the time you're stopping your client from doing stupid things. Yeah, hmm? and, yeah all the time, in fact. <laughs> <laughs> and it's quite scary when they go on regular for the first time and you're trying to tell them you do not go on to this because that would just make you full of you um, and, and the thing is with the, with the court the court reporters can only report what's said in, in court but where the building features that's where I'll help them get to the bottom of the case and the reason why the case is being brought so I might do it may be um, on, on a non-attributable basis um, Obviously, big difference between non-attributable and off-the-record, and journalists will try and catch you up by saying, oh, I thought you said off-the-record. They try and pretend that means non-attributable. You've got to be clear that non-attributable means they can print the details, but they cannot attribute it to anyone. They cannot say it came from your client. Off-the-record means it's confidential. Um, and you only go off the, I only go off-the-record with, with journalists that I really trust, and they trust me to go off-the-record because I know they go, I'm going to give them more details and bigger story when I can. Generally, we'll get, so with the court case... We'll get the client to come in and they'll do a non-attributable background interview in terms of why the case has been brought and what's happening and the main issues. Jared, uh, I've stepped out a while, so my apologies. When Sinead was talking about don't forget television as well and so on, uh, the one gap there was Chichi Kahar Radio in the Hilton. I don't know how many people or if anyone even in this room has some Irish. Uh, about a year ago, there was an FOI on who gets the most money from RT and so on. And I think it was Harry McGee, I can't remember, but one of the Irish Times political correspondents was way outscoring all the others. And the reason was he was the only one who could speak Irish. And T.G. Cahar and Roger the Giltas have all those hours as well. And if you have Irish, use that asset because you're in a minority, and they still have the same number of hours to fill. So just a thought that I thought I'd throw out there. 
We have a, a distinguished uh, <coughs> journalist here who broadcasts in Irish, Deglon, to Braden. Do you have anything to Good add? Good day, me Higgum. I'm not speaking the English. <laughs> yes, uh, well, if you speak Irish and uh, if, if they think you know what you're talking about, uh, they, they, they will ask you on and uh, you, they'll, they're, they're good at paying. Uh, they they don't pay very much, but they 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 do pay like that, and they're they're fairly prompt about paying. So it's uh, but they usually they're they're nearly all native speakers. So I always feel a little bit inadequate because I'm I'm, I'm not a native speaker, although I've <coughs> you know been uh, fooling around with Irish all my life. But uh, you need a reasonably high standard of of Irish. I know John Downing. Uh, you know, uh, who works for the Indo as well. He's another freelance. He does a fair bit of, <coughs> a fair bit of uh, stuff in Irish. So if if you have good, if you have, if you ha if they think you have good Irish, <laughs> I don't think I have good Irish, but they obviously think it's good enough to, to have me on. The point is wider, though, isn't it? I mean, <coughs> if you have a, a sorry, I, I uh, if you're French, if you have a knowledge of say Australia today, if you lived in Sydney for instance, you could be you, you could be making use of that. And what what those of you who are in, invisible should be about making yourself visible if you've got these these uh, conspicuous advantages. Radio station wouldn't <coughs> know that they've got somebody living nearby who knows all about a particular subject or has a gift for a language which is appropriate in, in, in uh, space. I, I think in the, the and they will shut up, in the uh, missing child story and <coughs> um, uh, the, the McCann case, I, I, I thought we were a bit slow to, to bring forward our Spanish or Portuguese speakers, I should say. Mm. And that they would have had um, they would have been able to talk to people on the ground in a way that the tabloid mob didn't do and there might have been features to be written and we just didn't do it, and yet there are Portuguese-speaking journalists around. I can't remember. I know. I know at least one. Anyway, <coughs> sorry, you are trying to get. Oh, just a, a couple of things. Um, have you ever come across a situation where you felt, for ethical reasons, you couldn't really do PR for someone because maybe their product was harmful or something like that? Yeah. And I secondly, um, how do the, how does the pay scale compare to the pay scale for journalism, or can you compare it? Um, I can't because I haven't um, worked in journalism. Um, <coughs> I'd say it's a lot less, my experience. Less? Yeah, you won't get rich being a freelance PR. <laughs> but journalists going into, into, actually going into agency, they can earn a lot of money uh, because they're a real asset, because you're buying your contacts and your <coughs> reputation. Um, I know a lot of, lot of friends in journalism in London are making very good money in PR. And your big agency will pay good money for an experienced journalist. And the ethical question? Uh, yeah, I, w I, I haven't come across it, but I, I wouldn't work for anyone. I, I couldn't. I, I don't like product. If you can't have a product or service that you can't you can't see the benefit of it, and 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 really get behind it, then I can't do the PR. You have to turn down work that you don't you don't really think you can either. You don't believe in the product or the service, or you know you just don't think it would be good enough to it would be a good enough story because it's only going to reflect badly on you. Just one, one question there. Sure. About 
uh, local radio stations, you know, uh, there is a bit of an issue here uh, for journalists here, say, on, on the newspapers, which is where I've mostly worked. And some, a lot of them won't do local radio because they don't pay, you know. Now, uh, I, I, I would do it because, say, Highland Radio rings me yeah. and they're not going to, I always sort of say, you know, where will I lodge the, the vast sum of money you're going to pay me for this? And they say, well, actually, we don't, we don't pay. And I say, oh, all right. And the reason I do it is because there could be a by-election in Donegal Northwest uh, in three months' time, someone drops dead, mm. and I'm up there, and they're probably my most important local contact. You know, or there could be a, maybe if I was on the crime beat, there could be a, a big murder there. <coughs> I really need them. So I believe in the philosophy of the late John Healy, famous journalist, you know, the good turn always comes back. Now what I want to ask you as someone with a knowledge of local radio is, are they really as broke as they say? Because I've met one or two people who sort of had controlling interests in local radio stations and they were very, very wealthy, it seemed to me, to have the trappings of wealth. So. Is this genuine, or is it what they call the poor man? I, I don't know. I mean, uh, you're, you're probably right. A lot of them are owned by conglomerates or at least corporates, so they probably do have money. Um, I <coughs> generally make a conscious decision, and I think it's... I know I'm freelance, and I, it's really... I, I, I was very strong advocate there. I've been asking for money. But it's, it's, in one sense, for me, it's a tiny way of giving back a little bit without being pretentious about it. I... Community radio, I would never charge for. There is no, they have no money. There is no money, and most people doing shows in there are doing it for free, just to get some experience. Um, they, I, I don't get asked a lot now. I have to say, it's not that I would go touting myself about on those. They would bring me out something I read in the Her uh, wrote in Herald or my property column or something like that, um, or they'd heard you on another radio station on a national and said, oh, that would work well because it had a local angle or something. So I don't pitch a lot to local radio for that reason because it doesn't pay. But when they ring me, I will always do it. Um, and I don't get too deeply involved about whether they have money or whether they don't have money. It's it's a thing I can drop at any stage. And if it goes overwhelming, and it had from time to time, um, certainly during the banking crisis and a lot of the stuff that I was doing on the wider economic front, you would get calls all the time, and you have to you have to divvy them out and say, look, I'm really not available for that. I'm sorry. Um, and it would be local radio that would get dropped before a national for obvious reasons. Um, I don't delve too much into it, Declan. I think you're absolutely right. They probably have more money than they're letting on. Am I willing to fight that fight? Not always. If I can, I will. I'll always ask. And then, you know, if they say, look, with no budget, I can't do it. And, you know, I, I, I make a call on whether to let it go or not. It depends on what I'm on in the day, how busy I am, what else I'm doing, if I have to research for it or if I already know the stuff off the top of my head. Um, it's a case-by-case case basis. I'd love to be able to demand money on every occasion. Life isn't like that, you know, and um, I kind of would prefer an item to go out than maybe not go out. That, that's really... Same as clients. I'll always say they've got the money for PR, yet yeah, they're ringing you for PR. You know, you can't sell yourself short. You've okay. got to do it for a certain... So, sorry, I'm sorry. Gentlemen, there has been... I might be able to assist Sinead and my colleague here on the query. Um... In a former life, I was an accountant, but about eight years ago, I started working for a local radio station on a part-time basis, uh, just doing um, 
match reports, golf reports, and it got to a point where I actually had my own golf show every Saturday. <coughs> um, and because my own work meant I had to work more Saturdays anyway, I had to pre-record a lot of stuff, which was fine, because a lot of it was interviews with leading golfers and whatnot. So I was doing a number of other sports as well for them. And it got to a stage about uh, four years ago, maybe five years ago, and uh, they asked me if I could do more work for them. Now, if I did more work for them, I would actually have been working seven days a week, and I'm sure my wife would have been very pleased. So anyway, the company I worked for got into serious financial difficulties in recent years, and then uh, literally one year ago, uh, they closed. And uh, a number of months before the operation closed, I knew the writing was on the wall, there was nothing we could do. So I contacted the local radio station and, and I said, listen, some good news, um, I'm, I'm the company I work for is, is closing and I'd be available to do more work. And they said to me, well look, uh, uh, thank you very much Colin, we have no more work, uh, we're cutting back substantially and as of this moment, I'm still doing some work for them and I'm doing far less work than what I was doing five years ago. <coughs> They're, I've discussed it openly with them, their advertising revenue has struggled um, as an accountant, I naturally check their accounts every year. Um, they're just about keeping their head above water, and I'll tell you straight up, it gets pretty depressing at times. They're now using, you know, if they're chasing down sports, they're ringing the, the PRO of the club, the secretary of the club, be it rugby, game, football, <coughs> golf, anything, and they're getting a free sort of a pretty amateurish kind of report from them. But it seems to satisfy local audiences. And uh, local radio, I would say to you, is very tough. 